0: I'm reading two readings. The first reading is from John chapter 12, and I'm starting at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him now the crowd that was with him when he was called lazarus from the to- when he called lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word many people because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign went out to meet him so the pharisees said to one another see this is getting us nowhere look how the whole world has gone after him And the second reading is from Mark, chapter 15, and starting at verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man rang, filled a sponge with some wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed breathed his last The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. So let's continue from where Peter left off, really, and imagine that we are here on Palm Sunday that you were part of this great crowd of people who'd come to greet Jesus. Now, Passover crowds in Jerusalem were large by any standards, and uh, the only information we have in terms of numbers was given to us by Josephus, a historian that lived about 30 years after the time of Jesus, who estimated an attendance figure in Jerusalem of over 2.5 million people on Palm Sunday or in Passover uh, season, And Jerusalem at that time was really quite a small city. So crowds and crowds of people packed into the city. And only a part of that immense crowd were able to gather outside of the city to greet Jesus. Some may have come with him from Bethany. Bethany was that little village two or three miles outside of Jerusalem and some of the other surrounding villages. And those who'd been uh, following Jesus as he'd made his way up The uh, long and tortuous uh, incline from Jericho going up to Jerusalem and then stopped at Bethany for a while and then moved on towards the Mount of Olives. There were those who'd followed him for some way and some distance and then there were also those who had come out from the city to greet him. Imagine that you were there. You were among those who were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That's a very important detail. It's recorded particularly in John's account that we read. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Those words primarily come from Psalm 118. They were sung every day during the Feast of Tabernacles. They were also sung at Passover time. And the palm branches that they used were a symbol of the Jewish state. The fact that they used palm branches was an expression of the fact that they were anticipating the king of Israel, someone who would be their Messiah, their deliverer, a king who was greater than King David, who would restore the nation to its former glory. Remember that Jerusalem in the time of David was uh, a small city, but it was well uh, defended And then that city grew as Solomon built his temple and then as Hezekiah strengthened the walls. uh, And it became a very significant place in the life of the Israelite nation. And then, of course, that that city was dramatically destroyed and the Israelite nations were taken into exile. And when they returned and under Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, under Ezra rebuilt the temple, restored the temple, it was never matching its former glory. Just before the time of Jesus, Herod rebuilt the temple, and that was a a very splendid building. But there was still that expectation that the Messiah would come and make this city an even better place, and make the nation an even better nation, that it would be stronger against its enemies, that its boundaries would expand, like it did in the time of David, but more so, the borders of the nation would stretch far and wide, and all threats to the stability of the people of Israel would be kept at a distance. A huge political expectation, if you like, of a king whose kingdom would be greater than anything that has gone before. Now, word had got out that the king was coming, and you were waiting for this great moment. As the procession passed over the top of Mount Olives and began to descend towards the Kidron Valley, ready to cross over and make a grand entry into Jerusalem itself. You were anticipating this great king, dressed in royal attire, riding on a war horse, or maybe in a chariot pulled by several horses, surrounded by a military escort of some kind. The king was coming. The Messiah was coming the rule of David would return and increase. Then there was the eye-opening moment as the procession peaked over the top of Mount of Olives and began to descend down the hill. And as you were waiting for this great moment, Jesus came in plain clothes, riding on a donkey. What an eye-opening moment that was. Nothing could have prepared you for that view. Of course, you didn't know that a little while before, Jesus had spoken to two of his disciples and sent them to Bethpage and Bethany, where they would find a young colt that nobody had ridden on, that they should bring it to Jesus, saying to anyone who asks, the Lord needs it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about that in their Gospels. But of course, that writing came out later on. You were there as part of the crowd. You didn't know all of that. All you saw was Jesus riding on the donkey. Just possible that it might have triggered a memory for you of the words of Zechariah in the Old Testament, that prophecy, in Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lonely and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim says the Lord and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. That's what Zechariah said many years previously. just possible that the sight of Jesus on the donkey might have triggered that memory. And something began to fall into place. Jesus had met with similar nationalistic expectations some while earlier when he was in Galilee particularly after the feeding of the miracle of the 5,000, where so many people had, had got food and there was a huge buildup of excitement again. And in John chapter 6 and verse 15, we read, we read these words, that when Jesus realized after that miracle that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew to the mountain by himself. It's almost as if the pressure was beginning to build up. And the expectation, the wrong expectation, was beginning to grow. And Jesus just slipped away quietly. But this time, there was no room to withdraw, but rather to powerfully and to dramatically present himself as a king who was a servant. A king who was a servant. This is Jesus. And this is the eye opening moment to discover who he really is, the king who is a servant. Jesus deliberately and powerfully takes away the military and political expectation around his rule and instead declares that his kingship would be a rule of peace, of gentleness, of universal tolerance. Nothing could be further from the crowd's expectation of the Messiah. But this was no ordinary person. A king he is indeed, but with a very different kind of kingship. And one of the very powerful themes that remains with us in the Easter story is that Jesus remained utterly in control throughout those days. He never relinquished that kingship. Terrible things were happening to him. And it was a deeply dark and painful time, but he remained the true servant king who'd come from his father in heaven, who was about to bring about a remarkable salvation for the world. So there on the slopes of the Mount of Olives came this immense eye-opening moment as Jesus rode on a donkey. And that entry into Jerusalem spoke so powerfully spoke in many different ways. I think in particular, it spoke of Jesus as the king of peace, that his ways are of mercy and gentleness and forgiveness. Zachariah's prophecy begins with the words, do not be afraid. Words echoed so many times in the life of Jesus that his perfect love casts out all fear. He's the king of peace. It spoke also of, the fact that he was the king of the whole world. This was nothing to do with one nation. This was nothing to do with strengthening the walls of the city of Jerusalem or extending the borders of the nation Israel, not at all. This was nothing to do with the nation or one group of people or one time or one place. The kingship which Jesus was bringing in this moment was for all time, for all places, for all people, for all nations was an amazing rule that was about to begin. And ultimately, of course, it spoke of Jesus as a servant king. As Mark tells us in Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Other kings would have had servants who waited on them hand and foot. But Jesus is the king who kneels down and washes the disciples' feet, who prays amongst the dirt of the Garden of Gethsemane, who is crucified in the most tortuous and agonizing manner that could ever possibly be imagined. He is the king of peace. He's the king of the whole world. And he is the servant king. This eye-opening moment as Jesus came into view, riding, on a donkey on Palm Sunday. Now, there were many other eye-opening moments throughout those events of the week as we follow them through after Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and on into Easter Day. Many eye-opening moments. But as I focused, first of all, on the eye-opening moment of Palm Sunday, we're going to jump on now to... Good Friday, to the moment when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. Another eye-opening moment, particularly for one person, the centurion, but equally for everyone who was there. Two of those who were there are going to talk to each other now in this uh, brief video.
2: I crucified Jesus. It's what the crowd wanted and that's what they got. And personally, I don't feel like that man did anything to deserve that, but I was just a soldier doing my job. When the governor gave his sentence, that's when I would go to work. I loved that job. I felt like I was administering justice every time I nailed someone to a tree. But that man, that man didn't deserve that. It makes sense to me.
3: It makes no sense. There I was, rotting in a jail cell for stealing, murdering—you name it, I've done it. And I knew the next time I stepped foot outside that jail cell, well, I and mean, that was it. So the guards they came and got me, and they put me beside this guy that was beaten to a pulp. Then Governor Pilot started asking the crowd. Which one of these men do you want me to set free? I mean, it was obvious. I mean, the crowd, they're going to say, let Jesus go. And then I was going to tell them where they could go. And then the crowd, they started chanting Barabbas. I I mean, they were saying my name. They were saying my name over and over and over again. The guards—they threw me to the crowd, and they, and they took Jesus to Golgotha. I mean, I mean, one minute I I am a man marked for death, and then the next I'm I'm free. It made no sense. So I followed him all the way to Golgotha.
2: I was stationed at Golgotha that day. We just raised the second criminal when they brought him to me. I'll never forget the way he looked. He'd been beaten, spit on, whipped. He was unrecognizable as a man, hideous. What was left of his clothes were stripped off of him and he was thrown down on the cross. That's when I went to work. Generally, when you crucify a man, the first hand is the most difficult. The criminal wants to get away, he fights you. So I would have two soldiers hold him down, but this guy, he didn't put up a fight. I just thought he was exhausted. As an executioner, I've been called every name in the book. I've had men yell at me, plead with me. But I wasn't prepared for that. He looked at us. He looked at me, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He forgave me. Forgive them.
3: He said, forgive them. Who who is he forgive? It should have been me up there. I was the one that was supposed to be hanging on that cross. He took my place. Then I looked up and I remember he took a uh, deep agonizing breath, and he said, it is finished, and then he
2: died. Surely, this man was the son of God.
1: Surely this man was the Son of God. This time the revelation was not so much about the nature of his work as king, but the essence of his being as God. The theme of his kingship continued through the week. The crown of thorns, the scourging with the words, Hail, King of the Jews! the mocking, the inscription that was put on the cross that read the king of the Jews and especially the taunting of the chief priests. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let him come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. But the soldier we were listening to, the centurion, didn't need Jesus to come down from the cross in order to believe who he was. This soldier watched how Jesus died and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Another amazing, eye-opening moment. There was something about Jesus as he died which said so much about his being that he was both the servant king who had come to serve and give his life but that he was also the son of God, the man who was God. And in Mark's gospel, this was the moment when any earlier secrecy about Jesus' true identity was lifted. It's quite interesting, if you read Mark's gospel earlier, you find that there are a number of occasions where Jesus imposes some silence on his disciples after they'd said something about who Jesus really was or after people had been healed or something like that. Don't tell anyone, said Jesus. Even after the wonderful moment at Caesarea Philippi, where Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus turned around and sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. It was almost as if that had to be held under wraps. Until this moment, this moment, Because Jesus wanted his real identity to be understood at the moment when he died. It was in his sacrifice that his true identity came alive. That he actually was God himself. And it was this eye-opening moment for the centurion that made all the difference Now at the cross, there was no need to hide the true identity of Jesus. It was clear for all to see that he was in every way a man, but he was also in every way God. Not partly man and partly God, but fully man and fully God. The Apostle Paul writes about it later on, Colossians 1, 19, 20, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross. And 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ. That eye-opening moment for the centurion, brings us to the heart of the gospel. That through that immense human pain and suffering that was actually happening there at Golgotha, as Jesus struggled for breath, as he cried out in absolute human agony, through this, there was a greater work being done. God himself was there. Jesus, the servant king, and the son of God gave his life so that we might be forgiven and today might live in the newness of life as his disciples right now. Two of many eye-opening moments in the gospel story. As Jesus rode on a donkey in Palm Sunday, and as he gave his life on the cross on Good Friday. What about your eye-opening moment this morning? I wonder, have you really discovered who Jesus is? Maybe some of you listening here in the building, some of you listening online, and you've known a lot about Jesus on and off over the years. But have you really discovered who he is? The servant king, the son of God, the savior of the world. Have you ever completely handed over your life to Jesus? Will you look again at Jesus this Easter? And have that eye-opening moment. See who he really is. But then for many of us who have known and served Jesus, we come to this moment, and we have to be challenged this morning, I have to be challenged, that if he is king, and he never gave up his kingship, as he demonstrated it in such a different way all the way through, if he is king, then your life and my life needs to come under his rule. It's a rule of love, of peace, and of hope. But it is still a kingdom to which you and I belong. And one in which you and I are called to serve. Jesus never questioned the title king. He always accepted it. That is who he is right now. We stand before the king of kings. Who seeks our love, our loyalty, our devotion, our commitment. And if he is God, then his message of salvation is essential to the whole world. The secrecy is over. There is no hiding Jesus' true identity. This is who he is. On Palm Sunday, the Pharisees despairingly said to one another, Look, the whole world has gone after him. In one sense, that is true. The whole world has gone after him. There are people in every continent, millions and millions of them across the world, a significant percentage of the whole global population who call themselves Christian. The message of Jesus has gone out. The world has gone after him. And yet in another sense, the world around us ignores him. Pretending That they can do life better without him. That Jesus is God. And Jesus is king. And to ignore him is a fatal error. You cannot do life better without him. You can only do life well with him. Trusting him. Acknowledging him to be king. We need to be in that place and we need to help those who are around us to recognize Jesus as who he is, the servant king and the son of God.